Thank you for listening to the Institute of World Politics podcast. To learn more about our graduate programs in national security, international affairs, and intelligence, or to support our work in educating future leaders, please visit www.iwp.edu. Good afternoon, everyone, and good afternoon, Mr. Ambassador. Welcome to the Asia Initiative Lecture Series. My name is Amanda Wan, and I'm the founder and coordinator of the Asian Initiative Lecture Series at the Institute of World Politics in Washington, DC. The objective of this lecture series is to broaden the scope and discussion on a range of intelligence, foreign policy, and security issues attendant to the Asian geopolitical, socioeconomic, and cultural spheres of influence. Today, we have Ambassador Jose Manuel Romualdez, who will be delivering a lecture on the Philippines-US alliance in a, in a post-pandemic world. Ambassador Romualdez was appointed Ambassador of the Republic of the Philippines to the United States in July 2017. Prior to his appointment, Ambassador Romualdez was designated as a Special Envoy of the Philippine President to the United States. He also served as a member of several Philippine business delegations visiting the US, China, Japan, and New Zealand from 1989 to 20, uh, 2012. Ambassador Romualdez has extensive experience as a media practitioner and business executive. He used to be chief executive officer of Stargate Media Corporation and publisher of People Asia magazine, the Philippine Star Affiliate. He was president of the Manila Overseas Press Club and vice president of Rotary Club of Manila. Ambassador Romualdez writes columns for the Philippine Star and all of his columns has a wide following of readers both in the Philippines and abroad. Thank you, Mr. Ambassador, for joining us today, and we'll begin our presentation now. Thank you very much, also. Well, first of all, let me just uh, uh, greet your president of the Institute of World Politics, Mr. John Lechowski, and of course, Ms. Gion Amanda Wan, the founder and coordinator of the IWP's Asia Institute uh, or initiative lecture series, ladies and gentlemen. At the onset or of this discussion, allow me to express my gratitude to the Institute of World Politics for inviting me to speak on this very relevant topic, the alliance between the Philippines and the United States at a time when the whole world is in the midst of a once in a century pandemic, which many nations, as we speak, grappling or are grappling with the second wave of COVID-19. To say that this pandemic has changed the world as we know it, is an understatement. We have witnessed how the coronavirus has and continues to alter the way we live and interact with each other, the way we work and conduct business, and even the way we meet and exchange ideas. It has also magnified and intensified the geopolitical dynamics in many parts of the globe, including in our own region in the South Asia or Southeast Asia. Amidst these changes, the alliance between the Philippines and the United States has remained steadfast, if not stronger. Allow me to discuss the areas where we have been closely working together. First, on the COVID-19 vaccines. As early as May 2020, the Philippines reached out to the U.S. biotech and pharmaceutical companies developing the COVID-19 vaccines. We recognized that the country's efforts to cope with and recover from the pandemic would only be sustainable once safe and effective vaccines become available and accessible to Filipinos. Discussions are also underway with companies at the most advanced clinical stages of development, which includes Pfizer, of course, Moderna TX, Novavax, Innovio Pharmaceuticals, and Arturus Therapeutics. 
We hope to further expand our pool of potential partners to include Janssen Pharmaceutical and MSD. We're also working to facilitate cooperation in clinical trials, procurement and distribution, and eventual co-manufacturing with both the government and the private sector to complement the vaccines. And the Philippine government will also source from the WHO-led COVAX facilities. This would, of course, ensure that many Filipinos will have early and sustained access to the reliable vaccines. Recognizing U.S. expertise and experience in this area, we look forward to partnering and collaborating with various U.S. government and private sector entities, as well as the academic institutions. Currently, we do not have the capability to develop and manufacture our own vaccines, but the government is working with local pharmaceutical companies to establish a suitable facility under the Vaccine Self-Reliance Project of the Department of Health's Research Institute for Tropical Medicine. Work is also underway to establish the Virology Science and Technology Institute of the Philippines, which will serve as a research arm of the government to current and emerging infectious diseases. Despite its domestic challenges to address the COVID-19, the United States has been very generous with its health-related assistance to the international community. We certainly appreciate the over 25 or $24 million in the U.S. government assistance to the Philippines, in particular, including PPEs for medical or cots or medical facilities, isolation tents, new ventilators, training and capacity building for health workers, and of course, improving our community access to water, sanitation, and hygiene services. This has been complemented by USAID-supported programs for local businesses that connect Filipino farmers and uh, fisher folk with the consumers through digital or digital platforms and have helped address the supply chain gaps during the community quarantine. U.S. companies have likewise stepped forward and in the spirit of Bayanihan, we became the, or have become the partners of the Philippine government in delivering humanitarian aid producing and donating medical supplies, providing financial food, gasoline, and other in-kind donations and tech support. With the Philippines still poised to make a strong recovery in 2021, we welcome U.S. investments in key and strategic sectors such as medical products and supplies, pharmaceuticals, and medical devices, aerospace, information technology, and electronics manufacturing, and IT process management. The Philippines' strong fundamentals fiscal stamina and effective governance will continue to make us a promising investment destination and a growing market for international investors. We remain committed to bold fiscal and economic reform measures, including legislative measures that will open up the country to more foreign direct investments. We continue to enjoin U.S. government and private sector participation in our Build Build program, which remains a key infrastructure initiative despite the pandemic. With its high number or high multiplier effect, it will play a pivotal role in the country's economic recovery and ultimately transform for the better our medical and public health systems, transportation and logistics infrastructure, and the overall business environment. We look forward to the U.S. continuing efforts to support the global fight against the COVID-19, including through the sharing of best practices as well as U.S. leadership in the development and deployment of a vaccine and therapeutics and the management of global supply chains. 
Our two countries recognize that it is only when we have overcome this pandemic and emerge from it stronger can we proceed with our shared goals of pursuing sustainable development and prosperity for all our people. At this point, allow me to briefly touch on the security part of our alliance, which has neither taken a backseat amidst the pandemic. On the contrary, our security cooperation has become even more relevant giving ongoing geopolitical developments in our region. The Philippine government welcomes the U.S. strengthened policy as regards maritime claims in the South China Sea, making it clear that China's claims to offshore resources across most of the South China Sea are unlawful. We are also, or we also welcome the U.S. leadership in rallying like-minded countries to push back against China's action in the South China Sea. The termination of the Visiting Forces Agreement with the United States also remains suspended. In fact, only yesterday, the Philippine government officially conveyed to the United States the further extension of the suspension of the abrogation of the VFA by another six months to give us more time to find a more enhanced, mutually beneficial and mutually agreeable and more efficient and lasting arrangement on how to move forward in our mutual defense. This suspension takes into, into account the developments that are happening in our region and which require sustained military and defense engagement at the appropriate levels. We continue to engage our U.S. counterparts to determine the best options to further strengthen Philippine-United States defense cooperation. To conclude, the Philippines and the United States remain strong and committed to our long and enduring leadership, our friendship rooted in shared history democratic beliefs and values. The relationship is robust with our two countries continuing to work together to address the challenges. I look forward to expanding on these ideas and answering all your questions that some of you may have in the Q&A section. Thank you again for having me. Mr. Ambassador, um, thank you very much for your remarks. And I think it's it's very important um, that we have to discuss these important issues, especially in the, one of the most challenging um, times in a post-pandemic world. And um, since we have uh, more than enough time, we will encourage our audience to take more time to uh, type in their questions um, in the Q&A chat box. But we ha have the first question. Um, so, uh, hello, Mr. Ambassador. Um, not sure if I'm pronouncing this in a correct way, but <laughs> I'll try my best. Uh, Magandang Hapon from Western Virginia. Mm -hmm. um, she, uh, she is a uh, IWP donor and former U.S. Air Force officer who happens to have been born in the Philippines, uh, Pasay City, be precise. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sorry, it's a he. My question for you, Your Excellency, is this. What do you foresee for the current state and future of relations between the U.S. intelligence community, including but not limited to the CIA, and Filipino intelligence agencies, such as the National Intelligence Coordinating Agency, NICA, especially in dealing with the Chinese espionage threat? Thank you very much. Salamat po, sir. Well, first of all, we, we have very good uh, working relationship with the United States as a whole, and definitely our intelligence uh, 
uh, agencies have all be, always been coordinated in all our efforts, especially in the fight against terrorism. Uh, in the case of uh, Chinese espionage, I, I guess that comes without uh, saying that we do coordinate on, on areas where we think is mutually beneficial for us. As you know, we, we do have uh, uh, diplomatic relations with uh, China and we value, of course, the relationship that we have with China because of the investments. Uh, uh, and also we have a lot of Filipino Chinese uh, uh, in, the, in the Philippines and we have Filipino Chinese investments in China. But uh, nonetheless, our cooperation in our intelligence uh, agencies has, has been uh, um, the best, it's always been, and we've coordinated on so many things. As a matter of fact, uh, one very great example that we have is that we, uh, this happened a long time ago, but uh, just to show you that uh, Ramsey Youssef, or if I remember correctly, it's the name, we actually caught him in the Philippines and he, was actually the one, first of all, we caught him. He was a terrorist who wanted to assassinate uh, Pope John uh, Paul. And we turned him over to the United States. And uh, actually he was partly responsible for many of the bombings, including from what I'm told, uh, the World Trade Center. So that's an example of how our cooperation of our two intelligence agencies has been very strong and continues to be strong up to this day. Thank you, Ambassador, for your answer. And the next question is actually from our um, IWP professor. Thank you for your presentation today. Can you provide more details as regards the status of forces agreement and specifically as it pertains to China's continued aggressive actions in the South China Sea? Well, as I said earlier in my remarks, uh, we welcome the United States uh, recognizing our arbitral award, which we won in the United Nations uh, of the season, so that 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 uh, that alone is 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 uh, is a very important part of our uh, making sure that our territorial claims are recognized by big nations like the United States, and we are continuing our bilateral conversations or meetings or discussions with China, and we hope to be able to uh, to resolve all of these issues peacefully. Nobody wants to have a a military confrontation of any sort. But our relationship with the United States obviously is, is a very special one. Our mutual defense pact is, is one very important document that we value, especially now that the United States has signified its uh, recognition of this arbitral award. This would of course make it clear to China that we work together in, in resolving this issue peacefully. Remember, there are also other Asian uh, claimants to, to the area. So uh, all of this has to be resolved uh, one way or the other in a peaceful manner. And we hope that China will, uh, will, will come to accept that as the only way to be able to continue to have peace and prosperity in that area. Thank you, Ambassador. And the next question is, what will be necessary for countries to resist and or cancel China's Belt and Road initiatives? Well, we have uh, we have really not uh, had much investments coming along our way and uh, along those lines uh, coming from China. We, we have more investments in our infrastructure program with uh, Japan. Japan is one of our biggest uh, partners in our infrastructure. So uh, China has uh, offered this uh, on many occasions, but uh, most of them have not really come into fruition yet. And we're hoping, of course, 
the terms that they're asking for would, uh, would be more reasonable, as they say. Uh, although we do have um, uh, agreements coming from China, I don't know if it is, falls under the Belt and Road, but they, they for instance, are, uh, have bidded and won for the development of Sangli Point, which is a, an old uh, Navy uh, uh, airstrip or base of uh, the United States, and we're developing that into a, a general aviation airport. So again, like I said, we will continue to engage uh, with all the countries that would like to invest in the Philippines, uh, but in a manner that would be mutually beneficial for both of us. Thank you, Ambassador. And the next question is, what do you see as the biggest opportunity for economic growth for Philippine econ economy over the next 10 years? Well, as I said, the infrastructure program that we've embarked on, which started uh, a, a year and a half or two years ago, is, is already moving forward. Even with, with the pandemic, we continue to continue to build our roads, bridges, and airports. As a matter of fact, we just uh, closed a deal with a local firm to develop a new uh, modern airport about uh, 15 to 20 minutes out of Metro Manila. Uh, all of that is part of a whole program where opportunities for businesses to thrive uh, because of the infrastructure. You can, in about uh, less than 10 years, we expect that you'll be able to travel from north to south by car without having to go on what we call, we have to go by ferry from, from one island to the other. As you know, we have 7,600 islands, but all of that hopefully will be connected or interconnected by the infrastructure. We also have uh, are investing heavily into to technology. Uh, in fact, our showcase is the Clark Air Base, where it is what we call the Green City. Clark Air Base, as we all know, used to be a uh, military air force base of, of the United States. And we've developed it now into an investment uh, free trade zone area where uh, a lot of companies have already uh, uh, have relocated and we're inviting more American companies to come in and see for themselves the kind of uh, infrastructure that we put in that green city where, which we intend to duplicate all over the Philippines. Thank you, Ambassador. And the next question is, the Philippines in the past provided a natural deep water port to the US Navy at Subic Bay, which was of immense value during uh, times of conflict in Southeast Asia. Do you foresee a time when perhaps access to Subic Bay might be reconstituted? Well, as a matter of fact, um, I'm not sure if you're aware of the fact that we had uh, Hanjin um, Shipyard, which is actually a Korean company that invested uh, in Subic. Uh, and this is where uh, repair and uh, even the construction of new ships. Unfortunately, it went belly up uh, not, not too long ago. So we have started to find ways and means to rehabilitate it. We have several banks, uh, local Philippine banks that have invested in that for close to a billion dollars. And so we we worked with uh, Australian, Japanese, and American uh, companies or uh, investment companies that would be interested to uh, use that facility. Uh, once we have that going, which probably will be ready by early next year, uh, this will be a facility that would be open to for ship repair 
for for our allies like the United States. So that that that, as you can see, uh, is, is is something that uh, obviously will be coming uh, soon. That we will we will allow uh, many of the U.S. Navy ships to come uh, and, and be able to have the repairs or all the things that they need in Subic. But we do have an agreement with the VFA, which is the Visiting Forces Agreement, which allows uh, American ships to come in and uh, be able to also uh, get their supplies and, and, and whatever it is they need uh, right now. But but with this uh, shipyard uh, being a, a private facility that will open, that will be open to our allies, it's very important uh, uh, I guess a very important part of our relationship that we have with the United States. We are opening it up to the U.S. Navy. Thank you, Ambassador. Um, since we have some more time left, we will just give a few more minutes for our audience to uh, type in more questions. If they oh, now um, I see one more question just popped up. What is the current rate of COVID infection in the Philippines? Well. Uh, Unfortunately, you know, um, I've always uh, I've answered this on, on many occasions. Um, our Metro Manila area in, in many of the big cities that we have, like uh, Metro Manila and Cebu, these are areas where we have a lot of people. Uh, it's, I, I would say it's a congested area. And so the infection rate in these areas have actually uh, been very high. Uh, we have close to 400,000 infected uh, 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 people right now that have been infected with this COVID-19. However, the, the recovery rate has been also very good. Uh, some say it's perhaps because the Filipino has a strong resilient uh, immunity system, but I think I'd like to think that uh, we've been able to manage it uh, fairly well and that we are uh, poised to be able to control it uh, better. Hopefully, again, the vaccine is what uh, many countries are waiting for. And we are, we are now at the advanced stages of uh, getting the vaccines from many countries. And especially here in the United States, we've, uh, we've been talking to Pfizer specifically and Moderna to be able to supply us with the vaccine. So hopefully, uh, as I said, this infection uh, um, rate will start to go down uh, towards the end of the year as the flu season in the Philippines is also come to, is, is coming to an end. In our case, it is during the, the typhoon season, which is going ongoing right now. In fact, we just had a, a very strong typhoon that hit Metro Manila yesterday. Uh, all of that um, adds to the fact that it's very difficult to, to manage and control the, the, the COVID uh, pandemic. But um, as I said, hopefully we will, we will be able to manage and control it better. Uh, in the very near uh, future by the end of the year. Thank you, Ambassador. And the next question is, you discussed Subic for the U.S. Navy. What about Palawan, which is closest to Spratlings? Well, um, Palawan is a, um, we're, we're trying our best to protect uh, Palawan in terms of uh, uh, the, the nature that we have, uh, the, the, the kind of, uh, uh, environment, uh, environmental uh, activities in Palawan. I, I'm not sure if you're familiar with our islands, but Palawan is probably one of the most beautiful islands in the Philippines. So we, we're we're managing that one, although we've been in discussions uh, with uh, 
not only with the United States, but other allies on seeing on how we can at least uh, use some of the ports there to be able to, uh, for security purposes. Uh, the Philippine uh, Armed Forces uh, have developed uh, an area that could be used uh, for at least a minimum re uh, security requirement. Uh, and, and we know that it's very strategic. But we have to balance it off between uh, protecting the environment and having so many of these uh, military activities that we feel is not uh, good for the environment in the end. So, but that, but that's uh, we're open to that, and uh, we have not closed that door uh, if and when it is really needed. But hopefully, as I said, uh, this this development of of being able to uh, discuss this peacefully will will uh, bring down the uh, the temperature, so to speak, on on the tension that's uh, that's created by this uh, uh, issue on the South China Sea. Thank you, Ambassador. And we also have more interesting questions. The historical relationship between the Philippines and the U.S. has always been a positive one. Given China's continued efforts to become the dominant power in the region, how do you see the Philippine um, PRC relationship developing during the Biden administration and the PRC presidency? Well, we're hopeful that uh, the, the, the new administration here in the United States will continue to recognize the arbitral award. I think that that is a very important uh, aspect of, of the policy of the United States. And uh, there are indications that they will uh, continue to respect that. Um, as you probably know, uh, during the previous administration of uh, President Obama, the United States was staying away from any, uh, in quotation marks, territorial disputes. That, of course, emboldened China into building many of these uh, reefs into uh, to islands, which are now actually military bases. So uh, that is very unfortunate because uh, most of them are located not too far away from the Philippines. And we were... Quite honestly, we were left uh, on our own to see how we can we can resolve this because uh, we were helpless, so to speak, because of the policy that was promulgated by the Obama administration that uh, that they do not get involved in territorial disputes. Um, recently, of course, with the announcement of Secretary Pompeo, they now recognize that arbitral award, and and that one is a very strong message that uh, China has to come and sit down and talk to us and talk to the other uh, claimants to the area and, and resolve these things uh, peacefully. So we're hoping that the Biden administration will continue to uh, press for a peaceful solution and that, uh, again, our mutual defense pact uh, must remain strong if we are to be really partners in securing our nations. Thank you. And the next question is, how do Philippine population view climate change? Is it a national security concern? Well, I, th I think we've been very strong about climate change. Um, in fact, uh, one of our senators, prominent senators, who's now our deputy speaker, Lauren Legarde, who's a close friend of mine, we have been, um, we, we, she's been discussing this climate change as far back as 15 years ago, and she predicted, uh, together with uh, former Vice President Al Gore, that uh, 
climate change is upon us, to wreak havoc into our environment, and we see that right now. We, we have, as I said, we just had a typhoon yesterday, a very strong one, and, and usually typhoon season in the Philippines starts in uh, sometime in June and ends sometime in September, but it has now gone all the way up to this time, and, and some are saying even it might even go through the Christmas season. And here in the United States, you have the same thing. You have all these fires in California. You have all these typhoons and uh, hurricanes that are happening in, in Florida and in other parts in the South. All of these things uh, uh, clearly show that climate change is something that the world has to address. And, and we're hoping, and, and, and of course, uh, the former senator in the Philippines just sent me a message that she's very pleased that the, uh, the incoming administration of uh, President-elect Biden uh, will uh, rejoin the Paris uh, uh, climate change. So that, that is that is a good indication that uh, a country like the United States uh, views this as a very big uh, national security concern, if, you, if I may say so, because like a pandemic, it will affect the world and the, way, the place where we live. Many people have died uh, uh, because of this uh, this climate change uh, that has wreaked havoc on our environment. Thank you, Ambassador. And the next question is, hypothetically, if the U.S. in efforts to counter the PRC's um, aggression in the South China Sea decides to create their own artificial islands in conjunction with other nations in the region as a competition to China, would, again, hypothetically, the Philippines cooperate in this initiative? Well, I think uh, we made it very clear to China that uh, what is ours is ours. And so if we, if, we have any, if we have any joint development of anything, including the natural resources that are available in that part where it is within our environment, in our economic zone, we're prepared to talk to, uh, to all countries, not only China, but all other countries, including the United States and develop that area. Uh, we, we're, as I, one of our policies is we, we certainly don't want to be, uh, we don't have, we don't want to have enemies. We don't want to be an enemy uh, to anyone, uh, friends to all and enemy to nothing is our attitude. We're hoping to keep it that way. Thank you, Ambassador. We have a couple of more questions. The next question is, can you describe the situation for the upcoming Philippine presidential election? Well, it's still far away, actually. We're about a year and a half or, yes, about a year and a half away from uh, the presidential election. Uh, you know, we have a multi-party system in the Philippines, so I can tell you right now that uh, we normally have about uh, maybe to, to begin with, maybe 10 that are looking to run for president in the Philippines. And then it starts to go down to maybe about uh, six and just uh, maybe uh, a couple of months before May, which will happen in May of 2022, you probably will have the front runners of about four or even five of these candidates. So it's very hard to tell on who's going to run for president in the Philippines, but uh, uh, you can just guess, uh, your guess is as good as mine because, uh, you know, you'll never know. Uh, sometimes uh, there's just somebody like President Duterte, for instance, who was not in the uh, radar screen in the beginning, but he became uh, extremely popular as, as, as it got closer and nobody 
uh, thought that he would have such a big margin when he ran for president uh, of the Philippines in 2016. So we don't know what will happen, but uh, as I said, we'll have a lot of candidates for the presidential elections as always. Thank you. And the next question is, which sea route choke point is most strategic to Philippines that is currently being encroached on by China and how concerned are Philippine businesses? Well, I think that the, uh, the areas where we have uh, a joint exploration <clears throat> with China right now is what we're looking at. It's important. Uh, but you know, there's a part there called the Scarborough Shoals, uh, which is within our uh, within our economic zone, that was occupied by China uh, for many years. Uh, and, but but actually, we were occupying in the beginning. Uh, you know, and that's why we had uh, had no choice but to start talking to China because when we were in talks with both the United States and China you know, on, on that particular area, the Scarborough Shoal. Which, by the way, was uh, in the uh, in the war war department at that time. It was not called the Department of Defense in the United States, but the War Department map. The Scarborough Shoal was was uh, actually recognized by the United States. We were still a colony of the United States at that time, and they recognized it as part of the territory. But China came in uh, maybe about ten or twelve years ago or more. And, and they occupied a part of it, and we occupied the other part of it. Uh, the United States at that time had asked us, uh, maybe we can try to lower the tension. Uh, maybe you should leave, and we will take care of telling China. We left, but they remained. So again, that's a clear example of how we have to manage our relationship with China, because um, there are things that maybe the United States feels uh, is, is not uh, for their interest, but it is for our interest. So, this is where we have to balance things on how we can uh, we can uh, look at these areas where it's important for us. To us, the territorial area which we are claiming is within our our economic zone, and, and and that's all we want. We want to just keep it that way, and this is very important for us because our fishermen uh, are very rich in in, in in natural resources. It's very important. That's their livelihood. And so we had to sit down with um, China and talk to them about this so that we can continue to have uh, our fishermen be able to continue to have their livelihood. Thank you, Ambassador. And again, I encourage our audience, if you have questions, please type them in right now. Um, the next question, we have a series of questions from uh, one of our registrants. Um, well, uh, we have three questions from um, from this attendee and we'll just take one at a time. So the first is, may you please provide an update on post-conflict resolution and reconstruction in and around Marawi? Can you repeat that? I'm sorry. Um, sure. that again? May yeah. you please provide an update on post-conflict resolution and reconstruction in and around Marawi? Okay. Well, uh, yes. Actually, we are speeding up the reconstruction. You know, the, the problem we had there was because it was almost completely devastated, and we had a lot of uh, what we call light bombs uh, that were actually uh, uh, 
um, dropped there by our Philippine Air Force. And we had to clean it up. And it took some time to do all of this because it was, the devastation was so big. Uh, but slowly we're, we're, we're moving. And of course, uh, our, uh, many of our allies, including the United States, uh, Japan and Australia have been helping us. And uh, we've also uh, talked to the Asian Development Bank and other uh, institutions to be able to finance the reconstruction of the area. Uh, it's very slow. As you know, whenever there's a war ravaged area, just like a typhoon ravaged area, it, it takes time for us to be able to do this, but more in this particular case, because Marawi, as I said, was uh, almost completely wiped out. Uh, it was really a stronghold of ISIS leaning uh, uh, people, and um, it just had to be, uh, it just had to be cleaned up and and now we're trying to also slowly bring in the population. And of course we have to, uh, we have to vet them, make sure that uh, many of them have no leaning towards uh, this uh, terrorist groups. Thank you. And the next question is, is there any concern that the Biden administration may press Leahy law adherence most stringently in security cooperation? Well, like I said, uh, we've had very good relations with this country as a whole. And so there are many issues, of course, that uh, come into play. And, um, and as I've always uh, uh, talked to many of the U.S. Uh, senators, specifically uh, uh, Senator Lee and some of the other senators, like Senator Durbin from the Democrat uh, uh, Party, the Democratic Party. And We've always told them that these issues we can always you can always uh, uh, bring it to our attention, but at the end of the day, we're a country that has a similar uh, system as uh, the United States. We're a democratic country. We have uh, laws. We have uh, we have uh, three branches of government. So allow us to solve many of these issues in our own legal way. Uh, people are always welcome to look at it. Uh, but definitely, we cannot allow a country, uh, most especially now, like, like the United States, to tell us what to do when it comes, especially when we went into this drug war, which is a very important part of the President Duterte's uh, uh, way to clean up the Philippines. I myself uh, believe that uh, the drug war has been, to a certain extent, successful because there is an area there where I used to uh, to live uh, a long time ago, and uh, it was very unsafe already because it was like a drug den. And now people there can walk around even at midnight, in the wee hours in the morning. Uh, perhaps not not now during the pandemic, but but uh, now they feel safe. Now. So this is this is all being done uh, in, in the interest of uh, law and order. And so we, we hope that uh, the Biden administration will respect that, just as we respect the laws here in the United States. Uh, uh, you have your own problems here in terms of, uh, of drugs and uh, also crime and, and perhaps even, uh, to a certain extent, human rights uh, issues. Uh, we've seen that in the recent past. So we, we, we have to learn from each other and help each other and in strengthening our institutions. This is, this is the message that we give to many of our friends in the U.S. Congress. 
Thank you. And the next question um, of the same series is, may you also provide an update on Chinese encroachment in the Western areas of the Philippine Sea? Well, um, there have been quite a number of encroachments, uh, and not only in the Western part, but in, in other parts of, uh, of the reefs that are not too far away from uh, the other claimant uh, countries. But as I said, uh, we can only um, guess on how far the Chinese are willing to go in terms of really pushing it, especially now that the United States and other countries have already signified uh, their recognition of the arbitral award given by the United Nations. Uh, and, and then that we are now working with the other ASEAN nations to have a code of conduct, which will uh, hopefully have uh, China be part of an agreement that they would have to respect many of these aspects and that there is a freedom of navigation, which uh, will continue to flourish so that we can all thrive uh, in, in a prosperous world. So this is the same message that we give to uh, to China and, and, and we're all in sync now. And hopefully uh, by next year, we will have a, a better understanding on how uh, we will proceed in terms of keeping that area safe. Thank you, Ambassador. And the next question is, President-elect Biden has intimid in intimidated that he would seriously consider rejoining the Pivot to Asia initiative that was instituted under the previous Obama initiative. Can you comment on this? Well, I think the Pivot to Asia has even been strengthened during the administration of President Trump. Uh, the, uh, the freedom of navigation activities uh, that were that has been going on for for the past uh, how many uh, I think more than a year now has been intensified and so and we welcome that to a certain extent because the United States obviously uh, is is a country that can balance the power that China has over that area and, and the influence that they have so I, I think the pivot to Asia um, has been even more enhanced and we're hoping that the Biden administration will even make it even stronger that they're there to keep the peace, so to speak. Uh, that's, that's very important for many nations that are claiming uh, many of those, uh, many, many parts of the South China Sea. Thank you, Ambassador. And we have a very interesting question here. Philippines is known for its excellency in boxing. Excel I'm sorry, excel excellence in boxing. Are mixed martial arts also becoming more popular in the Philippines or is boxing still more popular? Well, as we all know, our famous um, boxer Manny Pacquiao uh, has made boxing uh, probably one of the most popular, not only in the Philippines, but all over the world. They never thought that uh, an Asian like uh, Manny Pacquiao could be a real champion. Uh, but uh, martial arts is also very popular um, in the Philippines, but I think boxing has become even more popular because I said because of uh, Manny Pacquiao. And by the way, Manny Pacquiao is now a senator and they, they say that he may even run for president. Who knows? So that's, that's how popular boxing is. You can run for president too. Thank you, Ambassador, for taking so many interesting and very important questions. And again, it was a very insightful remarks. Thank you very much for joining us today, everybody, and especially Mr. Ambassador. Thank you very much, Igor. Thank you. I really enjoyed it.